If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our third episode of And Security for All. I am Kim Hakem, your host. I'm also the CEO of FutureCon Events, which produces cybersecurity events all over North America. Prior to that, I spent six years in the United States Navy, and after that, four years in the reserves. I've been in the cybersecurity industry for over 20 years, and that has allowed me to meet and work with some of the top cybersecurity leaders in the world. I'm so excited about my guest today. Today, we're going to talk about how private equity is changing the face of cybersecurity industry. Private equity has played a role in the cybersecurity industry for two decades with private firms like Tomo Brava making multiple investments. But now bigger and bigger funds are jumping in. They're starting to influence the valuations in the very shape of the cybersecurity industry. Traditional investors like McAfee, Symantec, Cisco, IBM have taken a back seat, although new players include Palo Alto Networks and VMware. So what does this all mean? Well, I have an expert to share and shed light on his views. Today, I have Richard Steenen. He is an influential industry analyst. Anyone who is in tech knows Richard. For those of you who have not had the pleasure of knowing Richard's history, let me give you a brief highlight on his career before I invite him in. Richard has 28 years of tech experience, first as a founder of RushNet, an ISP in Michigan. Then he went to an ethical hacker at PricewaterhouseCoopers, then as an analyst and as an executive at several technology firms. He has a very broad perspective in how the world of tech works. This is just the tip of an ice, the iceberg of what Richard has done. He has been a key influencer in the industry as a former vice president at a research at a research company, Gartner, that we all know. Richard is one of the foremost industry analysts in cybersecurity. He has presented on topics of cybersecurity in 33 countries on six continents. He is the author of many books, Stinnen on Security, Collected Essays, Security Yearbook 2020, The CIO's Journey in Surviving Cyber Warfare, which was a Washington Post bestseller, and his latest bestseller, The Comungeon, How to Succeed as an Industry Analyst. He also writes for Forbes and the Analyst Syndicate. Richard founded IT Harvest, another company, in 2005, the firm that does research for the IT security industry. He was named one of the 50 most powerful people in networking by Network World Magazine. He has a huge following on social media. You can find him on Twitter at CyberWar. And at the end of this episode, I'll let Richard also share other places you can find him. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you, Kim. That was a wonderful introduction. Well, congratulations on all your success. I guess we were talking, you've had a little downtime. Um, you usually travel all over the world. 
Yeah, uh, coming up on 12 months of not seeing an airplane. So I've, I've learned to live with it, as we all have. And I found uh, I can get a lot more done if I'm not in hotels or on airplanes. Well, are you missing it at all? Uh, I'm missing seeing new places. And, you know, I, you know, thankfully, my career has taken me all over the world. And um, my travel doesn't get me to the much sightseeing but boy do i get to eat in some nice restaurants and meet some really interesting people and i really really miss that yeah agreed well we have so much to cover in this one hour episode let's get started talking about um first your recent book such a fascinating topic and a very interesting book cover obviously they go hand in hand uh the curmudgeon how to succeed as an industry analyst can you give us a brief overview about this current book yeah, it was actually uh, originally I had this idea of writing a book on um, how to become an analyst. And I also wanted to write a different book, which was how to influence industry analysts. And then I met um, Gene Kim, who was the he's the author of The Phoenix Project, which is very popular amongst DevSecOps people. And when he heard that you know, I quite often advise companies, vendors on how to influence Gartner. He says, wow, I would have spent more money on you than on Gartner if I had known that. So he uh, encouraged me to write the uh, other book first, which I did. That was called Up and to the Right Strategy and Tactics of Analyst Influence. And but I had, I had 25,000 words written for the for curmudgeon. Um so that just sat on the back burner until lockdown. So last March of 2020, I just said, hey, that was my chance. And I actually am working with a bunch of uh, former Gartner analysts in this consortium we call the Analyst Syndicate. So I just reached out to them and got all their stories, too, so I could include it. So it's kind of turned into chicken soup for the souls for industry analysts. Well, curmudgeon, the new word of the day for me, you know, what was that? What was your inspiration for that topic? And especially the cover of the book, maybe you can give our listeners kind of a description of what that book looks like. So so, uh, curmudgeon is, you know, the the uh, dictionary definition is, you know, uh, a cranky old miserly man. And the but when you join Gartner. This analyst called uh, Ken McGee gives a lecture on how to be a curmudgeon. And it's basically, you know, how to be a skeptic, a cynic, uh, and push back when you hear these dreamy predictions for technology, either the technology space as it stands or particular vendors in the space. So that's where the title came from, how to, you know, curmudgeon, how to succeed as an industry analyst. And then uh, I asked my wife to help design the cover. So she looked around online for an image. And I think what comes up when you search on curmudgeon is this picture. Uh, it's a you know grayscale drawing of kind of a troll with a fly on his head. And boy, he looks curmudgeonly. <laughs> so we reached out to the uh, artist who had created it. And he happens to live in my hometown, Madison, Wisconsin. And he said, yeah, sure, go ahead, use it as a cover. So uh, it was fun to produce a book and then send him a copy uh, for his records. 
Wow, so that's actually a real person on that cover. Yeah. Well, a real artist's rendition of a troll. Okay, okay, yeah. And that's exactly the perfect world, a troll. That's what a it troll. looks like. So yep. so um, I would think that would make people want to just open that book because of that cover. So yep. um, so you, you've had a history of writing all these books. Where can our audience um, find these books and all your other books? Yeah, so they're all available on Amazon. And you can just search on my name on Amazon. You'll there are a few other Steenans that write books, but uh, I'm not the one who writes about medieval French uh, literature. So that's the the more prolific Steenan out there is him. Well, I'm sure it won't be hard to find that nope. book. But um, so shifting gears a little bit, I want to I want to talk about a few things before we get into our topic today. You also founded IT Harvest in 2005. It's a firm that researches all about the IT security industry. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why you started that, especially coming from such a global company like Gartner? Yeah. So it turns out. You know, I was at Gartner for four years and I left, frankly, because I was just getting bored. Um, And, you know, I got all the same questions every day, you know, from CIOs and CISOs. And I I was enticed to join the industry and I went to a company called WebRoot Software. And but I decided to leave WebRoot Software and start my own firm because looking back on it, all the things that I enjoy doing the most being that I should be an industry analyst. So I enjoy writing. I enjoy speaking. I enjoy, you know, digging into technology and learning all about it. And that those are like the criteria for being an industry analyst. And I wasn't really cut out for all the, the several executive roles that I've taken on. So that's, uh, you know, I started IT Harvest kind of in a, you know, just, Give me uh, the ability to do what I did at Gartner, but not have all the editorial oversight that uh, Gartner imposes. Because by the time you've done writing a research note at Gartner, the editors have changed your language, so you don't even recognize it as something that you've written. And I like to be more approachable in my writing. Well, that's awesome. And then I know that um, you have this security yearbook, which I've you know talked to you about in the past, but I'm still a little confused. What is the security yearbook? Can you tell us about that and who qualifies to be in that yearbook? Yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, so at RSA 2019, I was launching another book, um, Secure Cloud Transformation. And I was in a vendor's booth doing a book signing. And man, there were people lined up around the booth and out into the hallway. And I must have signed 400 books. And I realized, wow, I've got to have a book next year in uh, 2020. And then all the people coming up to me were telling me, you know, how excited they were to read the book, the, the cloud transformation book. And quite a few said that they were new to security they had only been on the job for two weeks and their boss sent them to our, to the big RSA conference in San Francisco to learn all about the industry. And I just realized, wow, this is not the place to learn about the industry, right? You just get overwhelmed. There's right. 400 vendors and booths all pitching you. Um, and then I walked around to those booths, which I do every year. And I'd meet, you know, these young kids with, they were the, like the only two employees in their company and they had sunk all their money into a booth and they described what their 
product does. And I'd say, oh, it's just like so-and-so from, you know, the early 2000s. And they'd go, who's that? Never heard of that company that, you know, failed or got bought out or something. And that's when it all gelled. I said, I've got to write the history of the IT security industry. So I've, all my other books have been, you know, wrapped around the history of attacks and nation state attacks and the rise of cybercrime and all that stuff. And those are well-covered topics, but nobody's written a book on how we got to where we are today with 3,000 vendors in the space. Um, some of them, you know, worth uh, upwards of $25 billion in the public markets. So I set out to write that and I interviewed a bunch of the, you know, security pioneers, the founders of Checkpoint, the founder of uh, VeriSign, um, the guy who invented uh, the original uh, identity management solution, uh, RACF and ACF2 for IBM mainframes, uh, and got all their stories and put them in a book. And that's, that's half the book. It's just text, you know, describing the history of our industry and the people, which is the most interesting thing about history. But then I've also been, for 10 years, I've been collecting uh, data on all the vendors. So I, in a mad rush to publication, um, I finished my directory of all the vendors, uh, 2,336 at the time, and categorized them and listed them, you know, alphabetically by category and then also by country and then within the U.S. by state. And the whole purpose of my directory is so I have the information at my fingertips when I'm talking to clients about all the different spaces within security. And now I've made it available in a printed book. Next step, of course, will be to come up with some way to uh, allow people to get access to that through a subscription in a SaaS service. Uh, but for now, it's uh, because it's going to come out every year, you'll be able to check it for changes in the industry. Um, right now I'm working on the section on all the M&A that happened. There were about 225 companies acquired in last year, and then uh, another 256 took funding rounds. So you can see it's, it's almost becoming an encyclopedia of the security industry. I don't even know how you could keep up with, you know, the evolving change of new companies coming in. So that would be a perfect subscription type, you know. Right, um, right. And it's great. It's a full-time job. I often hear CISOs talk as if they have their finger on the pulse of the security industry because CISOs are just inundated with uh, vendor messaging every day. So that, and they're talking to vendors and getting pitched by vendors every week. And they think that they're on top of the market. And I'm going, well, that couldn't be possible because you're doing a CISO job, which is one of the hardest on the planet. And this is all I do. And I do it 60 hours a week. So there's, you know, I, I need to share that so other people don't have to do as much work. Well, that might be a really good um, segue to our topic today with everything that's happening on Wall Street. Everything's going crazy. Um, can you give our listeners a general idea of how the private equity is changing the face of the cybersecurity industry? Yeah. You know, I started thinking about that, especially putting together this history, because for the longest time, the my counter to journalists and people saying, oh my gosh, the industry is consolidating because all they see 
are the acquisitions. They don't they don't hear about the hundred startups that come about every time a company has a nice exit. Um, they don't hear about them until they, those startups get acquired. So to a journalist, you know, covering the business side of, of security, it feels like the industry is constantly consolidating. And I make the point that, no, it's not consolidating. There are more vendors today than there were last year. Um, there are always more startups than there are acquisitions or uh, very, very few failures each year. Um, and that the way the industry just works is that startups get venture funding, um, go to market, start to grow, and then they get acquired by typically strategic acquirers, those that think they can take the startup and sell their products to their existing customer base or expand it and grow it and continue to grab market share. And that was just a natural ecosystem that we had. Because if you think about it, um, Symantec, who was one of the biggest acquirers uh, in the space for 20 years, um, they can't decide what their customers need next and then invest in doing the R&D and all that because there's a high likelihood they'll fail, right? They won't pick the right product. So they just look at the market and find the companies that are doubling in size every year and that people are buying from all the time and just acquire those. And that's how a big company in the security space usually, uh, but not always, uh, acquires or develops new products. They just acquire them and then spend a bunch of time integrating them with the rest of their products. So that role was filled by Symantec, uh, McAfee, Cisco, uh, IBM. At one time, a company called Computer Associates, CA, did a lot of acquisitions in security. Um, RSA Security, which was a, got acquired by EMC, did a bunch of their own acquisitions over the years, uh, quite a few of them in the uh, anti-fraud space. So we had just strategic buyers buying companies. And on the fringes, you had, you know, as when Semantic buys a particular company in a field, they, they usually pick the biggest one, the most successful one out of 20. Um, what happens to those 20? Quite often, you know, they miss the mark. They didn't get the big payout or liquidity event. Um, and sometimes they struggle. And then companies that are in the private equity business who are seeing what's going on in, in security, and it's not hard for anybody to go, hey, security is going to be a good investment. Let's buy a company. Um, and for the longest time, the major player in on the private equity side was Toma Bravo, which is a private equity firm that is backed by um, like teachers, uh, pension funds, um, companies that that have you know twenty organizations that have twenty or thirty billion dollars that they have to manage, but they'll take a small portion and and devote it to something more risky that can give them better returns. And Toba Bravo invests that money, and they've they've done things like took uh, Entrust data uh, Entrust Systems, which was uh, an encryption company, uh, took them private out of the public markets. And uh, assigned a professional uh, CEO to it, and he managed it. And then they, um, you know, ba basically had, were able to have a beautiful exit to selling it to a company called DataCard. Um, so they made like five hundred million dollars on that deal. 
and then uh, other companies like Francisco Partners have owned WatchGuard and SonicWall for years and years and are trying to do the same thing. Uh, uh, and that is, you know, grow them, grow their markets, and then spin them, either make them public companies and get their payback that way or sell them to an even bigger private equity company or a uh, that's trying to do a roll-up, maybe, buying lots of companies and melding them together somehow. But what's happened in the last few years is that MacView was pretty much taken off the table, right? It was sold to Intel and nothing happened while it was at Intel. And then it was spun off um, to private equity, but it's still kind of static as far as growth, right? It hadn't grown very much. Symantec was completely taken off the table. It was publicly traded and, and uh, Broadcom acquired it. Um, and Broadcom is, you know, their peers that their business model is acquire companies that have lots of customers that renew their business every year and then kind of milk it for that revenue over the years. Support the product for sure, um, but don't invest a lot in innovating or acquiring add-on companies. So now Semantic's gone. Um, Cisco has done a lot of big acquisitions in security over the year, but not, um, they, they just haven't filled the, the gap that Semantic and McAfee left. Um, so we're watching, you know, as this year, 225 companies were acquired. Uh, 72 of those, so almost a third, were uh, by private equity. So I'm seeing this uh, higher and higher activity by private equity with bigger and bigger bets. Um, two years ago, at the end of 2019, uh, company, a private equity company called Insight Partners acquired Recorded Future, which was you know, on a roll and growing fast in the, the open source threat intelligence business. And they paid, I think, $770 million for uh, a company that was you know, it was at least 10x revenue. And, and now they're uh, reinvesting, right? So the company continues to grow. And this private equity company is putting money into their investments. So what, you know, first of all, you've named all these companies that when you were mentioning earlier, the, the leaders that were out there like Sonic Wall and some of these names that those young people at RSA didn't know of, you just mentioned, you took me back 20 years just <laughs> listening to all the companies that you were talking about. But when these private equity firms, because you just see it happen so fast, like with Semantic, you know, today they were here and you, you know what I do, I put on events and I work with all these cybersecurity companies. They're here today and gone tomorrow because they've been bought up. But what is that really doing to the cybersecurity industry and the leaders and the people that have worked with these companies and who have, you know, especially like Semantic, when you've had people there for 20 minutes and we've got about three minutes until we take our break. So maybe let's just tip on that a little bit and we'll come back and talk more about that. Yeah, I think that's it's critical to understand the space um, to know you have to know who the acquirers are, even when you're a startup. You have to kind of have that, are we going to be acquired by Microsoft someday? Or, you know, maybe uh, Amazon, AWS, or Google will acquire us. And you kind of have to strategize from the beginning because you don't have, hey, we can have a battle between McAfee and Symantec and, 
and get them to pay the highest price. Well, do you, are you seeing like some of the leaders and staff of Symantec and McAfee, are they following the trends of the buyout of wherever, you know, recorded future went, or are they just moving on to something new? Yeah. So they are, they stick around for a year and then, you know, as soon as whatever contract they had expires, they are out of there and doing startups just like the old days. Well, it's interesting. It's been an interesting last year since we've been at home. And, you know, it, it just seems like left and right companies are being bought out. And I mean, Recorded Future, they're doing all of our events. So, you know, it's confusing to those average listeners when they get bought out. What are they doing next? And that's some of the things that we'll talk about when we come back after our break. But before we go into our break, I have Richard Steen in with me today. And um, Richard, for all of our listeners, how can they find you and what's the best way to follow you and learn more about you? Yeah, I make sure to post everything I do to uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. So you can follow, find me on, on LinkedIn. Uh, just search on Richard Steenan. And on Twitter, you just follow me on either at CyberWar or at Steenan. And since I tend to broadcast all those platforms, you'll see everything I'm doing. Um, sometimes I just, you know, will tweet a acquisition or major funding. Um, so you can kind of, if you're actually glued to your screen and watching all my tweets, you would get uh, pretty much up to speed on where I was at. Um, but, you know, I always go back and look at those um, or, you know, connect to me on LinkedIn and then you'll see my posts there. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and continue our conversation with Richard Steenan talking about private equity is changing the face of the cybersecurity industry. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. You are listening to And Security for All with Kim Hakem. To reach the show today with your questions or comments for Kim or her guest, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to khakem at futureconevents.com. Now back to And Security for All. 
Welcome back to And Security for All. I'm Kim Hakem, your host, and today with me is Richard Steenen. And today we are talking about how private private equity firms are changing the face of the cybersecurity industry. We've covered a lot about some of the past companies that we no longer hear about, but Richard, um, can you give us more insights on other areas that you feel like private equity is changing the face of cybersecurity and what's it doing to the staple companies that have been around forever, like the McAfee's and Semantics and Cisco's companies like that? Are, are they going to be able to keep up? Yeah. So, uh, you know, first of all, the the companies that are now competing with private equity are, have changed, right? It's still the same strategic value for them, but now it's Palo Alto Networks. Uh, VMware is getting into security in a really big way, doing a lot of acquisitions. Um, but they have to to compete with private equity, and they certainly usually are not going to be buying a company from private equity because, you know, private equity already paid hundreds of millions for that company. And you know, built it up, and now they're trying to uh, you know, flip it, essentially, just like you buy an old house and fix it up. And that's a, a critical point that typically private equity has very different requirements for their investments than a venture capitalist, because venture capitalists are the ones who created this industry. Even the early companies like Checkpoint Software, funded by venture capitalists in Israel. Um, Checkpoint went from initial funding of you know million dollars or so to going public in three years and made some of the first billionaires in Israel. And it created the venture capital business in Israel. And then we see Israel's uh, kicking out startups every single year. There's about 225 security vendors uh, in Israel today uh, or based in Israel. Uh, and same with California, Boston, D.C., they've got uh, vibrant uh, VC ecosystems. And the VCs have a completely different approach to private equity. VCs want to find a company fairly early um, and nurture it and give it the funding it needs to go through. Just, it's almost a playbook for a security company, right? Uh, get your first product, get your first customers, uh, grow your customer base, uh, take a, an investment round so that you can open up offices in Europe and Asia and develop your channel. Um, it just it, it just plays out the same almost every time. But the VCs are looking for you know the the winners that give them a hundred x return on their investment. Put in a million, get a hundred million at the end of the day. Private equity doesn't need such a big return. They're you know they're their competition is, is kind of a regular stock market, right? If, if they can show a re return that's better overall for their portfolio than the stock market, they're doing a great job because their investors are, you know, really big pension funds that I mentioned that, you know, of course, are individual uh, wealthy investors as well. So when they look for companies, they look for uh, mature companies with established management, and, you know, professional management, people have been around the block a few times, not uh, college age kids like VCs tend to tend to look for. And they want to be able to do the financial analysis that tells them, hey, this company just needs to 
it needs to reduce its debts, um, uh, break its product up into two or three categories, cut costs, kind of the housekeeping that you expect out of a mature company. And they feel they can, they can do that, bring that to the table as well as funding it significantly. Their funding usually includes getting control of it as well. So, th so they can replace the executive staff if they want to. Uh, they get to make all the decisions about investment. I think that is not necessarily good for the industry. Um, the, the companies that I follow that do the best are led by their founders. So Checkpoint, Fortinet, um, uh, Sourcefire back in the day before it actually was sold to Cisco. But the founder led the company from day one. Um, the founders of Tenable are still part of uh, Tenable today, and they're publicly traded. So there's that continuity because the industry spins on a dime. And anybody who, who's watched it, as soon as there's a new threat actor, everybody pivots at once to try and address the new threat. And interestingly enough, you know, if you've got this plan you're in management and ownership from a financial company, a private equity company, you're not likely to be as agile and pivot to meet the demand, even if it's just change your messaging. Um, whereas a small uh, company can do that. A founder-led company can, the founder usually has the insights that got them into the business in the first place. They've grown up with the industry and they just say, hey, industry is going to need to add you know, content URL filtering to our firewalls. So let's do that and create a whole new industry called UTM or next-gen firewall. Um, so that's the danger I see of having private equity involved, though they're still providing the valuable function of, you know, lucrative exits for early investors like the VCs. So, I mean, it's if the VCs can make that 10 to 100x their investment, uh, they don't care if it's selling to a Toma Bravo or Insight Partners. Um, they, you know, they're just as happy. It's the sometimes the employees aren't as happy because um, their stock options might not vest on that sale. Um, and you know, the goal of of private equity is either to flip it or take it public. So we're still going to have new public companies. Uh, coming out of the process, uh, which is a good thing. I prefer to see companies go public than get acquired after they're big. Well, when we were talking about earlier your yearbook, isn't that in a sense a playbook for because you're very, you know, well, well known in this industry. So I would assume these private equity firms are watching what you're doing and what you're writing about in these yearbooks to see, you know, some of their strategies of who, what companies they should start going for. Oh, absolutely. And they come to me, um, you know, and ask my advice on particular sectors. Um, they rarely say, which sector should we look at? Um, but they'll have a sector in mind and they'll come to me, you know, they, they love the uh, managed security service business because it fits their model, right? You can, you can, a managed security service provider just gets customers and then manages uh, there are alerts um, or, you know, sells them firewalls and manages those as well. So you can say, hey, if if it's working in Colorado, it's going to work in the rest of the country. So it's an easy bet. All we need to is infuse a bunch of money. 
but they might have more esoteric theses that they're working on and they'll contract with me to help work through and find uh, likely candidates for that. So do you, um, do you feel like, um, how are these newer funds, if we have bigger and bigger funds jumping in, how are these newer funds starting to influence the valuation of the very shape of the cybersecurity industry? Yeah, on the, on the one hand, they're uh, raising valuations because they're making really big bets. Um, so that's good for everybody in the business. Um, also, they they will help the large public companies, or not large, but you know, companies that have been public. I'm thinking now of uh, Barracuda. So Barracuda had you know never got above you know the two to four billion dollar market cap range. So they were taken private by private equity, and now they can operate and not have to worry about the quarterly reporting requirements and getting beat up by the stock market if they miss by a couple pennies a share, uh, which is a you know grueling task for any public company. And you know then th- that company will stay private for a few years, and that was you know the hope uh, that was maybe going to happen with uh, Forcepoint and Forescout and. Um, uh, McAfee as well, so right? they can be private, grow their business without the quarterly quarterly reporting requirements. Maybe go into debt because private equity love to fund things with debt as well, um, and then go public and pay down that debt. So it's a uh, you know it's a shift in the entire space, but it's not all bad and it's not all good. Well, it's interesting from my perspective because I do put on these cybersecurity events and in one year, I've been doing this for over 20 years and all of a sudden you'll see one company, let's take an example, Barracuda, who will sign up for every single event I have and then the next year, not because my events aren't good, all of a sudden that particular company is not around anymore, is out of money. So I guess that's when you start seeing the shift of... Oh, and, and you'll have noticed the first thing a private equity company does is they stop spending on marketing. Um, so they stop doing events, you know, because that's, you know, I don't know. They just don't see the value in generating leads from events. They, they're trying something else. Well, it's it's interesting because, you know, 2020, we had so many of our events pushed to 2021. They're happening virtual. And there's some of these particular companies, I won't name names, that had already paid for these events, but things must have shifted in the industry. And it didn't really even matter that they paid. They're just forego the money and they just right. won't do the events. So right. I imagine that has to do something with the whole dynamics of what's happening with the leadership and which, you know, which yep. direction are they going uphill or downhill? Yeah, but, completely. I mean, the picture changes when, you know, when a company is led by its founding team, they've, they've got their egos in it. Right. So they want, to tell the world about it. They want to attend events and have a booth and have a booth that's bigger than their competitor or fancier or something. And, but when the, you know, the accountants come in, uh, which is definitely what you get with private equity, they can make maybe more rational decisions, but they don't get, they tend to lose buzz immediately because they, it feels like companies fall off the radar as soon as they're acquired by private equity. But not if you're a customer, because they're 
they're definitely still calling you. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Try and sell you stuff. Well, going back to the traditional companies, when we were talking about McAfee, Cisco, IBM, do you think that they're taking a back seat? Are they losing their innovation? Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because uh, there are times, for instance, uh, the, the world of zero trust networking. They're in what Gardner calls SASE, um, secure, Ask, secure Access Service Edge. There are times when there are fundamental shifts in how the tech world works, and the cloud is one of those. So if every industry is moving to the cloud and getting rid of their data centers and using the internet for their corporate network, then that's obviously going to threaten the hardware business of a Cisco or a Palo Alto Networks or Fortinet, um, even a SonicWall. So, you know, as an analyst, I look around what's going to replace that. Well, SASE, the Zscalers, Perimeter 81, Cato Networks, um, iBoss uh, are stepping right in and doing everything that the traditional hardware stack of security appliances did, but they're doing it in a distributed manner in the cloud. And that's the direction it's going to go. So if you are one of those big providers of hardware, you're going to have a lot of difficulty pivoting to all virtual, all in the cloud. And so that's a struggle we're only seeing the very beginning of right now. Um, Palo Alto is doing a lot of acquisitions so they can have a cloud story. Cisco did several. Um, to, and, you know, of course, Cisco is famous for its architectures. They can show you slides that demonstrate how they're a cloud provider, but yeah, they're not, right? They sell really big switches to telecom providers. And that's the, the primary business they do. And security, maybe 20% of everything they do. That's why, I, so I track the, uh, you know, kind of market cap every year of, of 22 vendors in the security space the, that are public. And um, so this new year, 2021 version will, will publish what they did in 2020. And that's why I left Cisco out, right? Because even if though Cisco would be the biggest vendor at a market cap of $100 billion, that's not from their security sales necessarily. It's it's from their uh, switch and router sales. So you've got the startup, essentially, a newcomer on the block, Zscaler, um, growing 245% in 2020 in market cap all the way up to $26 billion. And that's that's more than Fortinet, who probably has six times their revenue. Um, but it, the market perceives that that's the future, is the Zscaler kind of thing. And that Zscaler is on the network side. CrowdStrike is on the... I was uh, just going to mention CrowdStrike. I was yep. going to say, I haven't heard you talk about CrowdStrike yet. Because CrowdStrike is really the most highly valued uh, security company uh, at $45 billion. Um, they grew 233%, so not too shabby. <laughs> and, you know, even that growth um, and that size, they are, uh, I think they're four times the size of Zscaler, at least, uh, in terms of revenue. Um, but they're almost twice Zscaler's size in terms of market cap as well. And then, you know, if you're talking to those guys, then you got to talk about the identity provider, that's the big market cap company, and that's Okta. 
So they grew 95% last year to 32 billion in market cap. Octa being led by its initial founders still? Uh, good question. I actually don't know. I'd be curious. They're just yeah. around everywhere. So yep. just like them and Dark Trace, you know, yep. seem to be around everywhere. Yep. So I guess we haven't really talked much about the AI companies and what's your what's your foresight on the AI companies? Yeah, so obviously a lot of security turned into a big data problem. And so that's looking for a solution. And AI is a good way to to um, uh, solve big data problems. Uh, so CrowdStrike, you know, did that to displace traditional antivirus um, and Darktrace is doing it kind of on the um, security analytics side, right? And even more important, they're adding in automation. And I see, I've got high hopes for that because, you know, when I watch the threat actors over the years, obviously they're going to start using automation as well, right? Just think of the solar winds attack that could have impacted 18,000 companies even a you know large spy operation inside the uh, Russian SRV, who's usually credited with solar winds attack, um, they can't handle eighteen thousand cases that they've got to exploit in a short period of time. Um, so if they're building automation, then they could do that faster and not have the team with eyes on screen slowly you know, installing their Trojans and getting a foothold and searching memory with meaty cats like things to move laterally and then get to the crown jewels and exfiltrate them. Uh, that still takes weeks, if not months for a, you know, so-called um, uh, advanced persistent threat actor. So uh, it's just an assumption because they should do it if they want to succeed is they're going to build in automation so they can do all that in minutes instead of months. So you're going to need automation on the defensive side so that you can make decisions uh, at machine speed to stop these attacks when they start occurring. Now, this isn't all my vision. This is William Gibson's division or, or William Gibson's vision uh, from Necromancer, which he wrote, I think in 1994, but he had, seen all of this happening way back then. So going back to private equity, you know, when we're talking about what just happened with solar winds and what's happening with solar winds, do you feel like these continued cyber attacks are leading more and more of the bigger funds to jump in? Because I mean, it's all over the place. Yeah. Usually to me, it feels like the big attacks happen. The existing public companies stock goes up. Because, ooh, cyber is important, so we should invest our money in cyber. So, And the private equity guys see that growth level. They go, we have to get into cyber. So, And this is the way it's been forever, right? Even if, you know, if there's a new attack back in 2003, a new worm, a new virus um, that Semantic and McAfee didn't catch, you would think their stock would drop. But it always went up whenever that happened. So the, our space has an outside driver. It's not just markets. It's the uh, bad actors who are evolving their tools and techniques. So as we start to eventually wind down on this, um, what would you say, what advice would be, you know, for some of these companies that are just coming out of stealth mode, how it seems 
that there's several different avenues you can go down, but what advice would you give to the people that are those young kids that you talk to at those booths at RSA? Yeah, I guess um, it is uh, get customers as fast as you can and do, do the executive team. The founders have to do all the original sales. Your most difficult hire is going to be the first time you hire a VP of sales. Um, you'll probably have to swap them out several times as you grow uh, because the first VP of sales better be a good salesperson. Um, but by the time you're a 500 million a year company, a VP of sales has to be a really good manager that they can hire good salespeople and motivate them and, and uh, crack the whip essentially. So that's really, really difficult role to fill. Um, keep an eye on uh, marketing and analyst relations from day one, you know, have a feel for the message and how you're going to take it to market. Um, and start briefing industry analysts right away. You know, as soon as you get seed funding, um, you know, as soon as you know you're a real company with a real product, start talking to analysts. So Gartner, Forrester, um, independent analysts like myself. Um, and so take them along with you on the ride so that they can get, so they understand when you start really succeeding, they can think, hey, I was there with them from the very beginning. So do you really think since this whole topic was, you know, we were talking about is private um, equity firms changing cybersecurity? Does it really matter to the cybersecurity industry? Um, uh, I think it does because we don't have the, um, the giant companies, right? At this point, you could say there's never going to be an IBM of security, right? It's going to be in these... Uh, uh, verticals. So network, endpoint, uh, identity, governance, risk, and compliance. Um, but but you have to watch out because the private equity guys sometimes can make uh, the wrong choices in the direction they're going to go. So they might decide that a roll-up is the right thing to do, even though it's never worked before. Um, they might decide that uh, they should be the IBM of security and they're going to just willy nilly buy a bunch of the wrong companies, you know, cause the, the, the way to execute perfectly is to be an IBM or a, you know, general electric that wants to be one or two in every segment that it enters. And it would take a uh, dedicated team, not just a bunch of financial people from private equity in order to pull that off. So what advice as we get, again, we're getting closer to ending our show, would, why should people use your tools that you have out there? There's, I mean, you're this great analyst that's been in, everybody knows you. What can they, you know, what can they get from reading all of your books and following you? Well, uh, if you're new to the industry, you can read all the books and get up speed pretty quickly. Um, of course, there are dozens of other great books uh, to read, especially about the threat actors. If you're a student, um, you can use my Security Yearbook as kind of a textbook in the industry. Or if you're a teacher, professor, definitely use my book as a textbook. Um, if, you're in, if you're an investor or private equity, uh, just getting into security, you have to build your own <clears throat> directory of all the players in it and keep track of 
the M&A and the valuations. Um, and you can get right up speed um, through to December 31st of 2020 by buying my new book when it's available. Um, and then <clears throat> most importantly, if you're a, a CISO or somebody who buys security products, um, you can have the, the entire list of all the products uh, arranged by category uh, in this book and make your product selection, you know, least narrow down uh, based on company size, funding. You can quickly go through that just with the data that's in the book. Well, I want to thank Richard for um, taking the time today to be on our show. And again, um, Richard, will you one more time let all of our viewers um, give them the, where they can go to find more information? Sure. Uh, if you need to contact me, just reach out, connect on LinkedIn. Um, I think you can even see my email address and phone number on LinkedIn, even if you're not connected to me. Um, if you just want to follow stuff I'm doing, then definitely follow me on Twitter and, you know, everything I write. And every time I write a book, uh, you'll see me pushing it on those channels. And you told us, what are your last two books? I think you said, told me you wrote three books in the last year during the pandemic. And what, if you can, one more time, let our listeners sure. know what they are. So, Steen and Ad Security is a collection of all the columns I've written for Forbes. Um, and it's just easier to read them in a book format than it is on Forbes' website. And so I, so I needed them for myself anyways, so I just published it as a book. Curmudgeon is if you're interested in the field of becoming an industry analyst, hopefully not a security industry analyst because I don't necessarily need competitors, um, <laughs> but any technology, right? Uh, augmented reality, you know, there's so many great things to cover. Um, and then security yearbook, uh, which is, you know, everything you need to know about the industry itself. Well, um, to find Richard, all you have to do is Google his name and he's all over the place. Um, we, I'm very delighted and thankful that you've spent this hour with us, Richard. I know you are a very, very busy man. So um, had we been back two years ago, I may not have even been able to get you on the show because you're <laughs> traveling all over the yeah. world. But um, thank you, Richard, for um, spending you know an hour with Security for All. And we look forward to having you on the show again. Um, so again, everybody, this show will be on demand if you um, want to keep this for reference of everything that we talked about today. Thank you again for joining Security On Demand. We will see you next week. Next week's show, we will be talking about the future of passwords. So we look forward to having you all back then. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning into And Security For All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.